Well, we're learning quite a bit about Ruth and her personality, and more specifically, we're learning about what it means to live a life of no turning back, of making a decision and continuing to live in that decision, and continuing to be faithful to the call that God has placed on your life. Now, in 1912, one of the finest preachers determined that his wife's failing health must keep him from ministering to a prestigious conference that was going on in America. And because she was not doing well, he decided that he was not going to be able to travel to this particular conference. And he had purchased the ticket. He had all of his plans ready to go. He had the hotel ready to go. He had all arrangements set up. But the ship would end up setting sail without him. His name was J. Stuart Holden. And he missed a golden opportunity for this great conference in America. And he a great opportunity for his preaching career, even, to be able to see to a conference like this. Now, Holden was a devoted husband, and he gave himself to the care of his wife. He sees him. Probably not to think of the things that were happening across the Atlantic at this conference that he was missing, and he wasn't able to, to make And until the day he died, J. Stuart Holden resolved to never question God's timing. See, he had this unused ticket, and this unused ticket served as a reminder for the rest of his life that we shouldn't question God's timing. Why? Because this ticket was for a new luxury line called the HMS Titanic. Uh-huh. You see, delay is often the protective hand of the loving Father. Disappointment is often the precursor to God's blessing. And hardship always precedes the highest summit. No matter what we go through, what we face, we see that God's timing often is working in our lives. There may be circumstances for you like there are for me that I know God's timing was always perfect. He got it just right. He didn't do it when I wanted him to, but he did it in his timing. And this is one of the main themes that we see woven throughout the story of Ruth. You do not hear God speaking in the story of Ruth. There are no angels declaring God's will. There's no burning bush that Ruth went to to be able to follow Jesus. None of those things happened for Ruth. But yet she chose to give all of her life to follow this God that she didn't even know. No turning back. She didn't hear an audible voice. No burning bush. No sound. No angels. Yet she still committed herself to follow the Lord. No turning back. See, even in the midst of all of that, God was not absent for her. In fact, the only time that we hear of God so far coming into this chapter was Naomi saying that God had brought these things upon her. Naomi, the bitter one, saying that God had brought all this pain to her and her family, all the troubles. What we're going to see today is that God had been working in the background all along. He had continued to work through the different processes and things that are happening, and his timing is always on time. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, said, when you cannot trace God's hand, you can always trust God's heart. When you can't trace God's hand, you can always trust God's heart. And that's part of that trust that we sing about just a few minutes ago. When things aren't going the way we think they should, when those waters just aren't parking, when those mountains just aren't moving, we continue to declare to the mountain to move, and it's still there. That's where we say, Lord, I trust your heart for me. I trust that you have my good in mind for the 
this entire process of what I'm going through. What I want you to walk away with today, this morning, is silence does not equal God's absence. Silence does not equal God's absence. Can you say that with me? Silence does not equal God's absence. So the question we have today is, what do we do in the waiting period? When things aren't going the way Cry that we have told, fists. Or the way that we have Yell, jump and holler. Last week Why? we talked about you're empty now, but harvest is coming. I've done all of those things. And so last week as we left off <laughs> chapter one, we saw a hint of what was about to come. We see on the very last verse of chapter one that they arrived to the town at the beginning of barley harvest. So we knew we could we may feel empty now, but the harvest is coming. And one thing we know about a right field that's ready to harvest, it does not harvest itself, does it? That was weird. What was that? It doesn't suddenly appear yeah. in the storehouse. You hear that? Come on. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's useful if you don't take it and harvest it. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes workers. It takes time. And sometimes, yes, it takes sacrifice to go out into that field and to work the field to bring in the harvest. And this is something that hasn't really changed very much over all the years. I'd be bold enough to say that all around us are people that are ready for harvest. People who are ready to hear the heart of the gospel. People who are ready for change because they're so tired of seeing the world that we live in. And the problem is, and continues to be, the lack of people willing to live above the status quo and not participate in the life of the church in which they have been planted. The problem is the lack of workers. Not so much the lack of harvest. People, time, effort. But you know what? There will be no harvest without harvesters. The harvest will sit in the field with no one to harvest it. So how do we get involved in the life of the church? How do we say, I'm, I'm giving my life, I'm sacrificing something for someone else? I'm giving a portion of my time or my effort, sometimes my finances, to see God change the heart, to see someone who is lost now saved. This is why Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I can go, go to the next step and say, pray that the Lord would make you a worker in the field. Because it's very easy to pray, here I am, send that person. Here I am, send my neighbor. Please hear my heart this morning. We're living in a time when we, as the people of God, need to set our priorities straight. Because eternity hangs in the balance for so many around us. And we can go along in life and pretend that everything's okay, and that there's not an eternity for them, only for us. But we have to be real about the reality. There, there are people who are facing eternity without Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to be the workers. We are supposed to be the harvesters. We are supposed to be the ones in the fields. Now knowing this, just knowing where churches come, even, even 
I've been pastoring. There's been this pendulum. When I first began as a youth pastor in Worcester, we had a Sunday school hour. We had Sunday service. Yep. Then we came back for Sunday night. Then we had a midweek service on Thursday. And many churches went along with that. They all did that. Quite a while. Many times. And we got to the point where you felt like, well, if you're in church all the time, how are you reaching people in the field? How are you reaching people for harvest if you're constantly in the church? But over recent times, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that one hour on a Sunday morning is a, seems like a sacrifice to us. Like we have to give up that one hour of my Sunday. It swung so far that all those other hours we used to spend in Sunday school or midweek service or Sunday night service, Sunday morning service. Now we whittle it down to an hour and that's too much. We just can't fight. See, often we are content to just check off the box for our Sunday morning service. But we know that great change is never going to happen if that's all we're giving. That's all we're sacrificing. See, our spiritual growth lays on our shoulders too. Not just on Pastor John on Sunday morning, but we need to continue to grow in Christ throughout the week. But there are other opportunities as well to grow in your faith. It just isn't going to be enough if we want to see things change. An hour on Sunday morning is not going to be enough if we want to see any kind of significant change in our community. Actually, every musician could be connected. So, please lift up your eyes to the field, stare your gaze from the floor, and look up your eyes to the field and see that the field is ready to be And there are people out there, the lost, the dying, the down and out, the addicted. I was wondering what I was like. Yeah. See, we haven't been given a great suggestion. So did you do that? Should we change We've been given a command, a commission, to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was a command. Right there. And you know what? To make disciples and for us to grow as disciples, it takes work. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It may take resetting priorities. Because the harvest does not harvest the seed system. So what are we doing this week? Yeah. When we're trying to figure out all that God is doing, when we don't know what God's timing is in our lives, when we continue to press forward, not knowing what step is and what, and they what's going to come with each step, their own destiny, they don't the first step we do is we start our hearts. Don't wait for the right time, because it will never be the right time. Yeah, it's all connected through the news. Don't wait for your situation to change. You may be wasting a lot of your time. This is what we see here. In Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to read that together. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went and gathered the grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So what do you do in the waiting? The first thing we see from Ruth 
is that she put her faith into action. She put her faith into action. She didn't sit around and wait for blessings of food to drop in her and Naomi's lap. She knew she had to do something. Sure, she had faith, but even a new believer senses that there's more to our faith than just saying things and using words. There is more faith than just positive thinking or positive words that we speak. There needs to be some positive acting. If we truly have faith in God, we need to put it to the test. We need to take a step of faith. We need to take a step that we've never thought we'd ever take before and see where God leads us. You see, she put action to her faith. They were living in poverty, not knowing where the next meal was going to come from. And at minimum, she thought, maybe if I could just get enough food for the day, she was satisfied. Enough food, I'm just going to follow the harvesters, I'll pick up a little of the scraps, I'll get some leftovers maybe, and I'll be able to pull up enough just to be able to feed Naomi and I for, for this night. Like she's like a person who's trying to eke out a living over aluminum cans and trying to turn them in to get their day's food. See, but there's a provision in Scripture that allows for those harvesters and people who are harvesting their land to let the edges of their field not be harvested so that people who are in need can come by and have something to put on the table. So though it seems as if God is silent, He actually speaks and provides through His Word, through His commands. Because God commanded that those edges of the field would be available for those in need. Is what Boaz did. He obeyed that command. And Naomi was able to go into that field and get what she needed, her daily bread. That's what the Lord's Prayer says, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And that's all she was looking for. Ultimately, God owns it all anyway, doesn't he? So it's a courage for her to step out of her comfort zone as a, a foreigner in a foreign land, and also as a female, going into this field not knowing what to expect. Will they let me take food? Will they let me take a little bit from the field? We'll be able to harvest enough for both Naomi and I to eat tonight. She was living out of prayer. Yeah, of course. Long before the 80s rock band Barnes Joby penned that song, Ruth and Naomi lived it. What year? They lived out of prayer and a little bit of faith. Yeah, they got to do that. She's going to enter living home. Go ahead. Summer, which we talked about. They will do a prayer game on Sunday morning. She wants to have a different church on her resume. Anyway, uh, it's smart. So Ruth was living by faith. It's smart. And to live by faith is to take God at His word. Living by faith is to take God at His word. And then, not just take him at his word, but then act upon To do something like it. Ruth was living by faith. Why? Because faith, without works, is dead. Right, right. Study the book of James, chapter 2. Without works is dead. It's either a weak faith or no faith at all. It's just words. See, her step of faith brought out a whole new twist of the story. I've had a lot of friends with Why? Because there's a man named Boaz, and he is introduced now in the story. Her son graduated there. You know what Boaz means? To me, it's in him is strength. Nice. He's a, in him is strength. He's a different. And apparently, in Boaz, he's a math major. Okay, got it. With a physics minor. 
Yeah, and told you, you use a lot of keywords and you go through. 
Poverty provision, provision of protection, she always has perseverance, all just people. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so anyway, so. She persevered, and her she reputation went. preceded her. She went and went. Just it seemed like everybody all, all over town was sure. talking about then, Ruth. Was talking about what she did, what she was doing for her mother-in-law. The story got around quickly. It seemed that the whole town down. knew her story. So Boaz offers protection to her by saying, stay in my fields. He knew that he could keep her safe in the fields. And God rewarded Ruth's perseverance with provision and protection. And he did this through Boaz. I don't want to say this, but... Because God's silence does not equal God's absence. He orders every step. So when you go out to the harvest fields, and you get to work, when you put your faith into action, Dad when you take steps that. of faith, but I you've heard it said, well, you have little faith, you take steps of faith. We go from poverty, whether it be so physical poverty or spiritual poverty, and God provides. And sometimes, many of us have experienced this, He provides a lot. And other times, He provides what we need in the moment. But at the same time, He provides. We go from provision to protection. When you put yourself to work in his hands, when you step out of the he protects and provides for you. It's, really it's a different world once you get out of New England. It's, it's crazy. Just like with Jason or Cole. We have a different story. Even Pennsylvania is totally different, even from here. But around the time that we. But once you get further down to the Bible Belt, Missouri. I decided that yeah. we were finished at our church in Arizona and we were doing some other things. We were packing up our bags. We go to a church in Connecticut to interview from Arizona to Connecticut. Of course, we didn't call to come back to New England. And so, at the moment, we literally were in our bedroom packing the bags, and Pastor Steve Polly called us from Faith Assembly in Miami. And he said, John, I um, just want to know if you were interested at Harris Christian Church. We can't pay you a whole lot. Um, Sure, if that's where God is calling us or not. But I said these words, but I'm open to whatever God has for me. There's something about that openness, there's something about God's timing that's always perfect, right? We went to the Connecticut church, and it just seemed like a little bit of an awkward thing for us. It was a great church, it just wasn't kind of our, our thing. And we began to come back and, and talk. I still think they were crazy. And we're continuing to take steps of faith with the store, with the, <laughs> the church that's going in upstairs. I'm asking you to take a step of faith. A step of faith that says, you know what? I know God is calling this church to make a difference in this community. And I know God is calling me to reach those in the cross. God is calling this church to be laborers in his field. She's always played. Take that step of faith and see what God does. See that God doesn't need you. 
This morning, and you've been through the ringer. Life has been tough. Maybe you feel a little bitter about the things that have happened in your life. And maybe this morning you'd say, I, I, I don't want to be bitter, but I would like God to make me better. But from everything I've experienced, everything I've been through, that God takes me from where I was to where I want to be, even if it's in incremental steps along the way. This morning, I want to encourage you to.
want to encourage you to take another step. Take another step of faith. You've taken one step of faith already. Take the next step. You can download a free app on your phone called YouVersion and download it. Uh, there's a study plan you can search for called First Steps for New Believers. Take that next step this morning. And when you take that next step, I want you to find if you're local, we'd love to see you here on Sunday at 10 a.m. If you're not local and you're watching from somewhere else, find a church that's nearby that you can get involved in and take the next step of faith. And as a congregation to stand this morning, and this morning we're going to declare loud and proud some of the foundations of our faith within this Easter. I think it's important to continue to trace these words because it comes back from the first and second century of the, the it's called the Apostles' Creed. And these are words that have been passed down as foundational to our faith through many generations down to us today. So we're going to go ahead and read this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. My encouragement to you this morning is to go into the harvest fields, put your faith into action, take a step of faith, no turning back. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next time.